be seated. Ernest, will you read Psalm 98 for us, please? Good morning. Psalm 98, a psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of, of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Daryl, will you pray over us, please? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a great God. God from the time of Aaron and Moses, you taught us of our sin. You taught us how holy you are. You taught us that we must come to you in a certain manner. God, and then uh, you have descended to earth and lived a clean life that we might live that new life through the, pur the purchase of our redemption. God, you made atonement that we could not do. God, thank you. God, you are a great God. I pray that as we gather today together, that our hearts would look to you and that we might be refreshed and renew our trust in you and renew our thankfulness in you. I pray these things for everyone here. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated. Um, God kind of burdened my heart this morning about uh, uh, even being able to speak because part of the time I'm <clears throat> not able. But the first thing I want to say is that it's a privilege to pray on your behalf. And what to pray for are our heart's burdens. 
and how to pray to meet needs, concerns, purpose, and with a humble heart. The church is alive to living for Christ and acknowledging our need for the presence of Christ in our heart and life. And so all of this for me is a heart prayer that God hears our prayers, that they are not empty words spoken into a nothingness, that God answers in our life and in others. And if this week didn't emphasize that for many of us, uh, we were asleep or missing, that God spared the lives of those young women in a miraculous way. That Sally needs our prayers on a continuing basis. That Jenny's condition is not just the answer provided by medicine, but by God. He answers us in scripture and in our everyday life, both in our life and in serving others. It's not a ticket that we punch, that we talk to God and say, well, I've done it. But we can speak to him anytime and anywhere. He says, let your request be known. So if you bow your heads for a short moment, we will address the Lord. So thank you, Lord, for hearing our heart cry. And may you be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's a joy and a privilege to be back in the pulpit again this week. A big thank you to Pastor Paul, who preached on the goodness of God last week as we continued in our series on Who is God. And it's already been said a number of times this morning, but uh, what an amazing thing it's been to see God's goodness on display in his dealings with our church body in these last few days, hasn't it? I mean, tough things, tragic situations, right? The difficulties of life have been very present in our church body. But how gracious, merciful, and good God has been to us. And that's one of the wonderful things about this series. And in general about the scriptures, right? We aren't here doing this just to fill our heads up with knowledge. 
right? We want you to be filled with wisdom. We want you to know God as he has revealed himself so that you live your life in accordance to these truths and help you to see whatever it is that you experience in your life in according in accordance to these truths. And it's amazing when they are displayed in some form or fashion in your day-to-day life. And by knowing them, they can bring comfort and peace in what would otherwise be chaotic or frightful. And so I've been seeing the goodness of God very clearly displayed in this past week in the life of our congregation. And I hope that you have as well and have been encouraged. And this morning, we continue in our series on who is God as we consider the omnipotence and the omniscience of God. That is, that God is all-powerful and that God is all-knowing. So I invite you to turn your copy of God's Word with me to the book of Psalms in the 147th Psalm. And that's page 622 in your pew Bibles. And if you're a visitor this morning and you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to feel uh, welcome to keep that pew Bible as our gift to you. There are also some welcome notepads near the entrance that you can take. And there's an information card there as well that you can fill out and slip into the offering box. We would love the opportunity to reach out and follow up with you. So Psalm 147 and verse 5 will be our text of primary focus this morning. So let us begin now by reading our text, Psalm 147, verse 5, where God's inerrant, infallible, and sufficient word which he has spoken to us here reads, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Let's pray. Father, we confess, Lord, that we do feel that this world is broken. That we do sense, Lord, that the shadows deepen. Lord, it is a very real thing that as Christians we can almost cut with a knife. That tension all around us. But Father, we are so encouraged by the truths that are contained in the Scripture. Lord, by the revelation that you have given to us for that purpose that we would know you that they would be a help to us in our Christian walks. And so, Father, we pray that as we consider your power and your wisdom, your knowledge this morning, Lord, that you would implant these truths in our heart, that they would be real aids to us. Father, that your spirit would work in all of our hearts to change us. 
conform us to the image of Christ. As Father, we pray for the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, that you would see it fit to work your power through a weak vessel, through a finite being, to bless your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Puritan theologian Richard Baxter once said, If you could fathom or measure God and know His greatness by a comprehensive knowledge, He would not be God. A creature can comprehend nothing but a creature. You may know God, but not comprehend Him. As your foot walks on the earth, but does not cover all the earth. The sea is not the sea if you can hold it in a spoon. Close quote. In other words, Baxter, like the psalmist here in Psalm 147, is proclaiming the greatness of God and affirming that while we can know God, while we can read and understand and fathom a measure of His greatness, like we do when we stare out into the ocean and perceive a sense of its greatness. Nonetheless, though you can stand at the shore of the ocean and it seemingly appears to have no end as you look to the furthest point that your vision can be cast, it has an end. But God does not. And as the psalmist proclaims, great is our Lord and abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. You can measure the ocean. You can weigh the seas. But God's power and knowledge are unmeasurable. But the scriptures and creation have, as it were, taken a tablespoon of the infinite power and knowledge of God and have poured it out on display for us to fathom and stand in awe and magnify and worship and give praise and honor and glory to our God. But that is what we have. We have but a tablespoon and it is enough to keep us in amazement for many lifetimes. Such is the depth and vastness of God's power and knowledge. And so I want us to consider these boundless attributes of our awesome God this morning. That He is omnipotent and omnipresent. Meaning that God is all-powerful and that He is all-knowing. And so I have divided this text into two headings. Omnipotence and omniscience. So let's begin with our first heading and consider the omnipotence of God. Uh, The psalmist here, who is unknown to us, proclaims, great is our Lord and abundant in power. But what does it mean that God is abundant in power? What do we mean when we say God is omnipotent or all-powerful? What is the power of God? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines power in a few different ways two of which I think are applicable to our purposes in describing God's power. 
they define power as the ability to do something or act in a particular way, especially as a faculty or quality, or as a physical strength and force exerted by something or someone. And I believe it is in a combination of those two definitions that I think we can refer to God's power. Uh, When we say that God is all-powerful, what we are saying is that God possesses the ability to do whatever He pleases. And that ability contains with it the idea also of the force or strength to bring about those desired outcomes. But there's an important caveat that we need to keep in mind. There are limitations to God's power. Right? There are limitations to God's power. And so, for example, the Scriptures will tell us that God cannot lie. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. He can't do it. He does not have the power at all to even will to tell a lie. Also, he has absolutely zero power to create another God. You see, that's a logical limitation. Something created cannot be God by definition. Only God is God, the uncaused first cause of all things. And so when we speak of God's power, we must realize that it is limited by logical reasoning that is grounded on the being and nature of God himself. That is, God's power is always consistent with God's nature. And so there are logical limitations. But he is all-powerful to do whatever he pleases within his creation as is consistent with his nature. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 reads, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to the will, according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? But we also make a theological distinction in God's power by speaking of it in two categories. And so we speak of God's absolute power and God's ordinate power or God's God's ordained power, if you would. God's absolute power refers to that which God has the power or ability to do, but he does not necessarily do. And his ordained power is where he brings about that which he has ordained to do. And so another way of looking at those would be to say that God's absolute power is his potential power. Not in the sense that it is not there, but in the sense that he is not acting on it. And his ordained power is actual, in the sense that he is actuating that power to bring about his will. And let me just show you two quick examples from the scriptures on where we see this. If you Recall in Matthew chapter 26, for example, uh, Jesus is being betrayed. He's in the garden when the troops and Judas come for him. And at one point, Peter draws his sword 
cuts off the ear of one of the troops. And Jesus tells him to put his sword away because those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. And then immediately in Matthew 26, in verse 53, Jesus says this to them. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? That's absolute power. Right? Jesus had the power to call legions of angels to come and wage war in the service of their master. But that is not what he did. And so that was Jesus showing some of his potential power. Potential simply because he did not go through with it. But it was a very real power. And so instead we read in verse 54, he says, But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? And so he stayed that power. He chose not to exercise that power. And so we see the reality of absolute and ordained power. He chose not to call forth legions of angels. Another example in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9, you may recall, what John the Baptist says to uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees when they come out to his baptisms. He tells them, And do you not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Right? That is potential or absolute power. God is able to raise up worshipers from stones. But so far, I've yet to meet anyone who said they were made from a rock. Right? So God has not ordained to use that power that we know of. And so potential and actual. And in general, when we speak of God's power, we see it displayed in a number of ways. We see God's power in creation. We see God's power in providence, in miracles, and in redemption, to name a few. Let me repeat those. We see God's power in creation, in providence, in miracles, and in redemption. In creation, I think we have covered this one pretty well in the last few weeks. God created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing. Right? I mean, what greater power could you possibly fathom than that? I mean, someone could be the most powerful person on the earth, and still they have no power to create, say, a human eye with all its intricacies. Right? And God, by His own power, created everything and sustains everything. Because that's something else that we have to keep in mind when discussing God's power. His power in creation is not just a creating power. It is also a sustaining power. The only reason you or this entire universe, for that matter, exists this very second is solely through the sustaining power of God. Every passing second of existence depends on God's power for its, for its subsistence in the next. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Now, by seeing God's power in His providence, I simply mean that history is His story. He makes nations rise and fall. It is by His power. If any nation has any power, 
It is power delegated to them by God. God has allowed for them to have that power. Romans 13.1 says, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Speaking of Pharaoh and his hardened heart not to let the people go, uh, when Moses confronted him at the command of God, God said to Pharaoh in Exodus 9.16, For this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And so we see God's power in the unfolding of time, in the history of the world, and in the present, as shall we see it in the future. We also see God's power displayed in miracles. And let me just say, I believe God still works miracles today. I believe we should pray and can pray for miracles. He is a miracle worker because He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. Now, I don't believe that these so-called miracle worker preachers who go around making people's legs grow a few inches right before their eyes are doing miracles, but just really bad magic. And so I don't think that there's anyone that is gifted to bring about healing by their declaration, as we see in the apostolic times. But I do believe that God, as He sees fit, still does miraculous healings and things that no one can explain by natural causes or reason as a gift and demonstration of His power to show people that He is the Almighty. And so we should uh, pray for and hope for miracles. He is still the God of miracles. And lastly, we also see God's power in redemption. And, and here's the awesome thing about that. You see all those ways that we see God's power in creation and providence and in miracles come together in the display of God's power in redemption. Because Adam fell... The whole human race fell with him. We are born dead in our sins and trespasses. We are born in a natural state with a mind that is hostile to God. But God made a plan to bring about redemption. Sending his only begotten son into the world. And we see the power of creation in the conception of the God-man. Right? A, a miraculous conception in the body of a virgin. We see God's power in his providence. In, in, in redemption. He made the plan and brought it to fruition. Right? There was never a single person that could have ever for a second thwarted any part of his plan. He planned it and he had the full power to bring it about. Acts chapter 4 verses 27 and 28. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so we see the power of God in the plan of redemption in the life of Jesus. And after Jesus died, was buried, on the third day he was raised by the power of God. 
And because of that, we have the privilege of seeing the power of God at work in a mighty and miraculous way on a regular basis. But we tend to be somewhat desensitized to that reality. Almost like it's a common, non-miraculous thing. What am I talking about? Beloved, when we, we see an amazing display of God's power every single time that a sinner is born again. Every time a sinner repents and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is rejoicing in the presence of the host of angels as they marvel and worship God for such a display of His power. Some theologians have noted that in creation, God creates out of nothing. But in regeneration, He does more than that. He creates newness of life in that which was corrupt. He makes dead bones live again. It's miraculously powerful. And so, God may not be displaying His power by raising worshipers from stones, but He is absolutely putting His power on display by raising up worshipers from dead bones. That's what you and I were. We were but dead bones until the Holy Spirit breathed new life in us and granted us repentance and faith through regeneration. Do you see that? You want to see a miracle? If you're a Christian, you need to look no further than yourself. But here's the other great comfort that we should take regarding God's power and redemption. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. What is that a promise of? That's a promise of ultimate victory. And the power of God that we see displayed elsewhere should be like a seal of promise to us as well. Because it shows that He indeed has the power to bring about that which He has promised. And what do I mean by that? Do you see the sun rise and set? But do you see the waves crash upon hills with spectacular strength? yet the oceans stay within their boundaries? Do you see the violence of tornadoes and hurricanes around the world? The force of seismic waves caused by the shifting of tectonic plates as seen in the earthquakes recently in Syria. These things we see daily are but glimpses of the unfathomable power of God. These things derive their power from the infinite fountain that is the power of God. And it is from this fountain that the Lord will pour out power from to raise us up from the dead. Because we see the sun rise, because we see the waves crash, the volcanoes erupt, tectonic plates shift, because we see those things which clearly reveal the invisible attributes of God, namely His invisible and eternal power, we can have confidence that He also has the power to raise us up from the dead. He has the power to do what He has promised He will do. But of course, there is no greater seal than that Christ died for our sins in in accordance to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day 
and that he appeared to Peter then to the twelve then to more than 500 at one time then to James and then to all the apostles that is the great seal that we have of God's promise and so we have comfort from many sources beloved that God has the power to do what he has promised he will do the church of Jesus Christ will prevail his kingdom will stand forever because it is backed by this decisive, determined, conquering, awesome, absolutely ordained, unceasing, unlimited, unavoidable, unfathomable power of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And just a quick word about that promise that Jesus made in Matthew 16 verse 18. When he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In case you see this verse incorrectly, as I did once, picturing in my mind the demonic forces of hell waging war at the gates of heaven, as if they were trying to come in and thwart the building of the church. It is true that they are trying to thwart the building up of the church, but that's not the picture that our Lord is painting. The ones making the battle advance in that verse aren't the demonic forces at the gates of heaven. It is the church backed by the power of God making an advance and destroying the gates of hell. Because their power pales in comparison to the power of Christ in the building up of his church. Do you see that? That is the power that we are protected by. We are citizens of the most powerful kingdom in the universe. And I love these United States of America, but even it's nothing compared to this kingdom, of which I am first and foremost a citizen of. And so God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Cling to that truth, believer. You will not be disappointed to put all your eggs in that basket. And I don't know if that's a southern thing or you know that one here too. But And this is why, by the way, God is also referred to in some places simply by the name of power. Such as in Mark 14, 62. When Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. God is referred to by the name of power because he is all-powerful. And so great is our Lord and abundant in power. He is omnipotent. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But additionally, notice our second heading. He is also omniscient. He is omniscient. The rest of our verse reads, his understanding is beyond measure. Two different words to describe two different attributes of God, right? His power and his understanding, but both words used to describe them are synonymous. They are both merely describing the depths of those attributes. 
And so we can say that God is abundant in power and understanding. And we can say that God's power and understanding are beyond measure. So what are we speaking of when we read that his understanding is without measure? Well, first of all, God's understanding is his knowledge. And so his knowledge is without measure. God's knowledge is without measure. He knows all things past, present, future, and possible. Now, I'm not going to chase a rabbit here to speak about uh, his knowledge of all the possible worlds he could have created and so on. Uh, There is some truth to that statement. God knows all possible outcomes of all possible circumstances. And so, for example, you may remember the words of our Lord in Matthew 11, uh, verses 21 and 23, when he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And so I don't think Jesus there is saying uh, those words to be hyperbolic. He was making a true statement based on understanding knowledge that is without measure. That is, he knew that as a true possibility in the infinite mind of God. And so God knows all things past present, future, and possible. But here's the most comforting fact about his omniscience and his omnipotence and all the other attributes for that matter. They are not in disunion with one another, but rather they are united in perfect harmony. And so God knows all things, and because of his goodness, which we heard about last week, In his holiness and his love, he acts on the counsel of his will in the wisest and best of ways, in the most loving of ways, and in a decisive way because of his power and ability to carry out the counsel of his will. Do you see the great comfort in that? And so we... Also teach children, right? There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. And so it is with God. He is the God only wise because his knowledge is perfect and he acts on that knowledge in perfect concert with all his other attributes. Jeremiah 10 verse 12. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. They are in concert with one another. Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or informed him as his counselor? Whom did he consult to enlighten him and who taught him the paths of justice? Who imparted knowledge to him and showed him the way? Of understanding. And so his knowledge is all encompassing. He knows all things. And he knows them simultaneously instead of successively. 
meaning he always knows all things at once at all times. And so to summarize that, he knows all things simultaneously, comprehensively, exhaustively, eternally, and perfectly. And this truth can be either very comforting or scary, or both. Listen to this insight from A.W. Pink, a pastor from the early 1900s. He writes, quote, The apprehension of God's omniscience ought to bow us in adoration before Him. Yet how little do we meditate upon this divine perfection? Is it because the very thought of it fills us with uneasiness? Close quote. It can be an anxiety-causing thought that God knows all things because that means He knows everything about you. Every thought that you have ever had, every intention of your heart, every desire, no darkness can hide you. The comforts of your own mind can't protect you. He knows you. And I think we can make an argument that people know this instinctively to a degree. I mean, it's interesting that Proverbs 28.1 says that the wicked flee when no one pursues. As humans, we are ashamed of our guilt as Adam and Eve were by their nakedness and tried to cover it up. We do the same. We flee in one way or another from God. But there is nowhere to hide. And if you are here this morning... And if you have not yet been born again, then perhaps you should be afraid. And you should be fully aware that He knows your sins. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions, your passions, your idols. He knows every single hair that is on your head, just as He knows every single star in the universe and calls each one by name. But fear is not the only option here. If you are unwilling to bow your knee to Jesus as Lord, then you should be afraid. But if you repent and believe the gospel, if you submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ, then you have nothing to be afraid of, but rather you should be thankful. This is the greatest act of mercy that has ever been heard of. Because even though he knows you perfectly as he does, he is still willing to grant you eternal life and peace within if you repent and believe. And if you're already a believer, perhaps there are some here this morning that should also be afraid. Not in a eternal damnation type of fear, but in a father's discipline might be coming type of fear. Believer, if you are indulging in sin. Your Father who loves you, Christ who died for you and purchased you with His own blood, will not leave you to your own rebellion. He will discipline you. He knows all things. You cannot hide your sin from Him. And so are you watching things you shouldn't be watching? Listening to things you shouldn't be listening to? 
drinking amounts you shouldn't be drinking. Digesting things you shouldn't be digesting. Chasing after worthless idols that are taking you away from your first and greatest love, your Lord. He knows. And because he loves you and you are his child, he will bring about discipline. And so you should be afraid. Humble yourself before he has to humble you. But on the other side of this coin, Christian, I hope you will be comforted by the reminder of these truths. Especially these two truths combined. These two are some of the most comforting truths to me. God knows all things and he is all powerful. Because as a believer, as they pertain to me, these two truths are not divorced from the truth that I am his son. That he loves me and cares for me as a child of God. It is the most comforting thing to remind myself when things are not going as expected. When troubles arise, when fears arise, when anxieties creep in, when doubts fill my heart, when pain takes a hold of my body, when, trage when tragedy around me ensues. When I might be in the lowest of my lows, there is hardly any greater comfort than to remember that He knows. God knows. And not just because of knowledge of, ev of, of events. He knows because He has willed. He knows because He has ordained that it would be so. And He has the power to do as He pleases. And whatever He pleases to come to pass is good. And because I belong to Him, everything that happens in my life will ultimately work out for my good. No matter how painful. He knows. He knows, beloved. When I haven't known what else to pray, that has been my prayer. Lord, you know. And in that, I proclaim His omniscience. Lord, you know, and I, appeal, and I appeal to his omnipotence, help me. These are some of the most comforting truths to my heart. So God is all-knowing and all-powerful. The God only wise. There are just a few closing remarks. <clears throat> I just want to point you to Christ. Listen to John Flavel, a Puritan theologian. Quote, Cast your eyes among all created beings. Survey the universe. Observe strength in one, beauty in a second, faithfulness in a third, wisdom in a fourth, but you shall find none excelling in them all as Christ does. Bread has one quality, water another, clothing another, medicine another, but none has all in itself as Christ has. He is bread to the hungry, water to the thirsty, a garment to the naked, healing to the wounded, and whatever a soul can, uh, whatever a soul can desire is found in Him. Close quote. You want to know the power and wisdom of God? Look to Jesus. First Corinthians one twenty four says, "To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power." 
of God in the wisdom of God. There is no better place for you to look if you need power and wisdom than to Christ. Are you struggling with some specific sin? Look to Christ. He is your source of power and wisdom to mortify it. That's a proper application of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He is the source of our power to do all things which he has called us to do. He doesn't just leave us to our own strength. His power is made perfect in our weakness. He gives us the power to do what He commands. He strengthens us to resist the devil, to flee temptations, to mortify sin, to make disciples of all nations, to strive to love Him with all our soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if you're weary of doing those things, beloved, cry out for strength. Petition the throne room of God for power. There is a bottomless ocean of it as infinite as Christ himself is infinite because it is his power, because it is his strength, because he is our strength. He is the fountain from which all blessings flow. Cry out to him. He will provide. He never grows weary and his strong arm never fails. He is omnipotent, and He is omniscient. He is your Lord and your God. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would grant us a measure of this power and wisdom. Lord, we pray you would search our hearts as well. Lord, that you would make known to us those things which may be a hindrance in our walks. You would give us the power, Lord, to overcome them, to destroy them. Lord, that we would be holy as you are holy, because that is what this world needs from us. We do see the darkness deepen. But Lord, make us brighter lights to shine in that darkness even more. Strengthen us, Father. For your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name.